Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic, overseeing our toxic phase one and sarcoma programs. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Emrula Gilmez, an oncologist here at the Cleveland Clinic Tassa Cancer Institute, treating head and neck cancers. He's here today to talk to us about new guidelines for recurrent and metastatic head and neck cancers. So, welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, um, give us a little overview. What do you do here at Cleveland Clinic? Yeah, I'm a medical oncologist, and I specialize treating patients with head and neck cancers, and I collaborate with uh, other colleagues in head and neck surgery and radiation oncology. All right. So we have a number of people that might be listening in that may not necessarily understand what head and neck cancers are. You know, lungs and organ, but head and neck, what does it entail? Tell us a little bit. Yeah, sure. So uh, head and neck cancers are the cancers that originate mostly from the oral cavity, uh, oropharynx, tonsil area, uh, larynx around the voice box, and uh, sometimes like rarely in the salivary gland and the sinuses. So, uh, so these are the cancers uh, that a lot of times present themselves as a lump in the neck area. And uh, most of the times, like these are treated with uh, local treatments like uh, surgery, radiation, and sometimes requiring chemotherapy as well. But unfortunately, sometimes like the treatments don't work and there are recurrences that require the treatments such as immunotherapy or uh, the patients present with metastatic disease requiring immunotherapies upfront as well. Okay. So we're going to talk a little bit about some guidelines. So give us a little bit of an idea what the current state was, you know, what sort of the questions were in terms of um, how to approach these tumors and why we needed some updated guidelines. Yeah, so as I said, uh, most of the time we treat these cancers with uh, local treatments and uh, that uh, requires like input from a lot of different physicians like surgeons, radiation oncologists, and medical oncologists. The patients undergo either surgery, radiation, chemotherapy. But if they have any recurrence, then we do immunotherapy at that time. Uh, or if there's any metastasis up front, then we do immunotherapy. So actually, we have been using immunotherapy for head and neck cancers for many years. And Immunotherapy, meaning uh, most of the time with the checkpoint inhibitors, have been approved for a lot of cancers for several years. And head and neck cancers were among the first cancers that were FDA approved for immunotherapy. As the first approvals actually came around 2016. So the first approvals were for uh, pembrolizumab and nivolumab. And we've been using immunotherapy for mostly the setting that we call platinum refractory disease, which if the patients have a recurrence after platinum-based chemotherapy within six months. But in the last couple of years, we had recent findings that there were uh, approvals in the frontline settings, depending on the biomarkers, and also in non-scoma cell carcinomas, such as nasopharyngeal cancers, there has been more advances, and also there has been need to approach the patients for rare cancers. So that's why, since this uh, has become a little bit more wide area, so that there has been a need for uh, building a guideline to put together all these findings and to have an evidence-based approach. And when you mention biomarkers, what kind of biomarkers are we talking about? Yeah, so uh, the title also includes biomarkers, so that's why we wanted to focus on the biomarker for this guideline. So the primary biomarker is pdl one and 
PDL1 is uh, used to uh, choose immunotherapy for a lot of cancers and um, for most of the cancers, for example, TPS, which is the tumor proportion score, is used as the biomarker. But for head and neck clinical trials, CPS, which is combined proportion score, is used. So that's why we wanted to focus on the biomarkers part, uh, and we had a different section. So the guideline had a different section for just focusing on the biomarker, just to make sure the right biomarker is requested by the oncologist and sent out by the pathologist. So that is one biomarker. And the other biomarker is the tumor mutational burden, and that is another biomarker emerging as a potential to predict response to immunotherapy. And that becomes a little bit more important for the rare head and neck cancer, because in the head and neck area, we sometimes see rare tumors. For example, salivary gland cancers, we don't have a lot of treatment options uh, beyond chemotherapy if they don't have certain targets. And the clinical trial that led to uh, immunotherapy approval for the high tumor mutational burden patients included some salivary gland cancer patients as well. So that's why we wanted to include the tumor mutational burden and focus on that one as well. So that's why this guideline had a special focus on PDL1 and tumor mutational burden as biomarker. Excellent. So how, uh, how did you guys go about putting together information? It's a rare cancer may not be specific trials in particular subtypes of head and neck cancers. How did you guys approach uh, developing the guidelines? So for the head and neck squamous carcinomas where there is large randomized trials, uh, first of all, the guideline focuses on those trials just to make sure that those randomized trials, large trials, phase two, three trials are used as the evidence. And then if there is no large randomized trials, then for those rare tumors, then again, looking at those um, trials that includes a lot of cancers that has uh, more biomarker-based trials, such as that Keynote 158 trial that had led to high tumor mutation burden cancer patients with any cancer uh, type. So those are the things that we wanted to look at just to make sure that we capture most of the relevant findings to the rare cancers. And I guess just to clarify the guidelines we're talking about, these are through ASCO? These are through ASCO, correct. Because there's also people might think about like NCCN guidelines and things, but these are we're talking today about ASCO guidelines. Correct, yeah. This is the ASCO guideline for immunotherapy for uh, recurrent metastatic head and neck cancers. And when you go to put together a group like this and come up with guidelines, who all is involved? How many people? What kind of disciplines? So for treating the patients like uh, these, so uh, a lot of different physicians are involved. So that's why this guideline included a medical oncologist, a pathologist, since the biomarkers were involved, surgeons, head and neck surgeons, radiation oncologists, and uh, more importantly, the patient representative as well, uh, just to make sure that any recommendations are coming up uh, relevant to the patients at the same time. Excellent. So with uh, with the newer guidelines, what... Uh what are some of the things in the new guidelines that will make the biggest impact, do you think, on patient care? So one of the practice changing in the head and neck cancers were in the frontline settings. So that was for the patients who present with the metastatic disease, who hasn't had any chemotherapy, or who, are, uh, who had recurrence uh, more than six months pr- from prior chemotherapy, who are eligible for getting another chemotherapy as well. So for those patients, if they have high PDL1 score, then 
they can get immunotherapy all alone or chemotherapy and immunotherapy. And if they have low PDL1 score, then they can get chemoimmunotherapy. So uh, this guideline has an algorithm to help the physicians about like how to approach the patients depending on the PDL1 score. And the other one is also uh, there has been a lot of new findings for the patients with nasopharyngeal carcinoma. And uh, these studies came mostly from Asia. And a lot of times uh, since nasopharyngeal carcinomas are endemic in Asia, uh, most of the studies usually come from Asia and we try to adopt those treatments uh, for our patients here. So that's why we had a chapter for an algorithm for the patients with the nasopharyngeal carcinoma and how to apply those immunotherapy approaches with the chemotherapy combinations for nasopharyngeal carcinoma as well. When we think about these guidelines, how do you think these guidelines specifically will help us manage patients here at Cleveland Clinic? So in our multidisciplinary head and neck clinic, we see a lot of patients with head and neck cancers, and uh, we also uh, have a, a large healthcare system that we're seeing a lot of head and neck cancer patients. And uh, we uh, try to use the most evidence-based practice. So that's why uh, these guidelines help us from that perspective. And uh, most recently, we also uh, looked at our experience in Cleveland Clinic and uh, had a recent publication last month, actually looking at our experience with immunotherapy patients, head and neck cancer patients getting immunotherapy. So among our patients uh, in Cleveland Clinic Health System getting immunotherapy, we have seen like more than 250 patients getting immunotherapy with head and neck cancers. And we compared our outcomes to the uh, clinical trials such as Keynote 40 and Keynote 48 that these guidelines actually uh, referred to. And our out outcomes are actually very similar to these clinical trials. So that's why uh, it helps us to try to make sure that we continue to use evidence-based treatment for our patients. And also, like at the same time, uh, we continue to try to enroll patients to uh, immunotherapy clinical trials and try to find the best clinical trial for our patients at the same time. That's great. So it's, it's great to see that our outcomes are so close to trials because you, know, you have sort of hand-picked people in trials and then you think about real-world patients, sometimes you don't get the same outcome. So it's good to see that, uh, that we have such good outcomes. Exactly. And that was our purpose, to look at our outcomes, just to make sure that the real-world experience actually reflects the uh, clinical trials at the same time. Now, I guess another question, so some tumor types, um, uh, patients are more likely to be treated on main campus rather than in the region. Within head and neck, are most patients being treated on main campus, or how much regional involvement do we get with with treating head and neck cancers? I think it's a mix, but even uh, if the patients are treated in the region, sometimes we still get referral and see the patients and they might go back and treat it in the region. So that's why uh, there's a mix of the patients getting treated in both uh, sites. And then things like these guidelines and our care paths and things like that would be, of course, helpful exactly. for those physicians as well. Yes. So when you get a wide range of people, disciplines, practice styles, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, were there any surprises? So when you had discussions, were there any particularly contentious points where people had sort of um, differing views on, on how to treat? Definitely. So that's why that was really a great experience to work with different people. Like these people in the panel of the guideline were all experts in their fields. And uh, sometimes there's a little bit uh, fine differences in different, like in the practice, but at the end, it all came to the evidence about what evidence says, and then 
the consensus about the agreement on uh, the making the recommendation. So that was from that part, like a uh, great experience from my end. And then how, how did these guidelines sort of fit in line with, I mentioned NCCN guidelines, are these kind of consistent or how should one approach a patient when you're faced with differing sets of guidelines? Like, you know, you look at NCCN, you look at ASCO, how do you, how would a physician sort of look at those and make decisions? So NCCN guidelines are a little bit more general guidelines how to approach and like, for example, head and neck cancers in general. But these ASCO guidelines give specific recommendations and specific settings. For example, this is for more detailed guideline for how to treat the patients with immunotherapy and recurrent metastatic head and neck cancers. That's excellent. So as a sarcoma guy where I'm used to like everything just glumped together, you know, more specific is always good. So yeah, so that's, uh, that's a good thing. I guess guidelines kind of help in two, two uh, settings sometimes. They help physicians know what to do and how to guide patient care. Have there been insurance barriers in the past with getting some of these therapies covered that these guidelines might help with? Correct. So I think that is one other thing that might help uh, as like the physicians uh, to refer to these guidelines as well. If uh, there's any challenge to get these immunotherapies approved for the right indication when they try to get the patients uh, access to these medications. So that might help to get their access to the patients as well. Yeah. What are the biggest questions that remain? So it sounds like you made good progress, like in a, in a sort of a subset of the big picture head and neck. What are the big unanswered questions that might be for the next set of guidelines? So one of the things uh, that are emerging, and uh, again, rather than the guideline, uh, especially like from the research perspective that are going on in the immunotherapy is, so that is why we wanted to focus just like the recurrent metastatic for this guideline is, there are a lot of research going on in uh, immunotherapy in the curative intense setting especially with the chemoradiation and immunotherapy and uh, after the surgery with the chemoradiation. So, uh, so that's why there are a lot of unanswered questions from uh, that part. So that's why there is no indication right now to use immunotherapy in the curative intent setting. So that's why this uh, guideline focuses on more with the recurrent metastatic setting. So that's why that is one of the unanswered questions. And if there is more that comes up in the future in the creative intent setting. So that might be the next guideline that comes up in the immunotherapy for head and neck cancers. And the other thing is like if the patients have any progression beyond immunotherapy, there are a lot of trials going on how to overcome the resistance to immunotherapy with different combina combination strategies. And if um, some novel strategies and some novel treatments come up with that, so uh, this guideline might be updated in the future. And ASCO is coming up with these updates every few years if there are new indications that comes up uh, and new findings that comes up with the treatments. Within the head and neck community, are these earlier phase trials, are they relatively easy to do? I know in some tumor types, it's it's difficult because, you know, patients might see a surgeon first and, you know, they may go ahead and have surgery and not sort of think about those trials that might be in play. So has it been relatively easy to answer those questions in head and neck cancers? Yeah, in head and neck cancers, it has its own challenges because we have to get access to the patient and uh, get the patient on the clinical trials as early as it is possible. If the cancers start to progress, then we might have also like a short window to get the patients on a clinical trial as well. So that's one of the challenges. 
Uh, but at the same time, there are a lot of novel strategies that are coming up as well. So that's why there's still room for improvement for these treatments. So that's why, especially for more targeted approaches, uh, so those are the things that might be coming up for these patients. And I guess continuing to think forward, you know, mostly this, as you said, is focused on checkpoint inhibitors, but there's a, an entire um, next wave of immunotherapies in the future. Is there anything in head and neck that looks particularly promising that you're, you're kind of hoping... Uh, the looking longingly at the trials to hope they work. Yeah, there are, for example, vaccine strategies coming up for HPV positive cancers are its own group. For example, HPV targeted therapies are emerging right now. So that is uh, its own group. And there are some really exciting um, therapeutics that are coming up in that group. So, uh, and there are some other checkpoints other than PDL1 uh, that are emerging. So, there are definitely some uh, other treatments that are potentially uh, effective in the future. So, Excellent. Well, it looks like uh, you guys have synthesized a lot of uh, data and come up with some good guidelines and mm -hmm. should help patients. And it looks like there's promise for the future. So appreciate your insights today. Yeah, thank you so much. To make a direct online referral to our TASA Cancer Institute, complete our online cancer patient referral form by visiting clevelandclinic.org slash cancerpatientreferrals. You will receive confirmation once the appointment is scheduled. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. You will find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash canceradvancespodcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center experts on our Consult QD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon. Music